Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Hello to everyone watching. Well, um, I am running in California's 40th Congressional District, which is East and Southeast Los Angeles County. Uh, you know, this is an area that is heavily industrialized, heavily polluted. It's the most Latinx, Chicanx area in the entire country. Um, and yet, um, our representative is not uh, doing a good job for the community. You know, we have uh, so many families dying of cancer. Uh, we have uh, seniors that are not getting their benefits. Uh, and this is because of the larger problem that we have, the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party in this area of Los Angeles County has been reigning supreme, uh, unilaterally essentially, for 70 years. Uh, our, our problems are due to the Democratic Party. It's not because of the Republicans, this and that. Uh, it's because the Democrats refuse to stand up to corporate interests, uh, the polluters, the factories, etc. Um, so what does this tell us? It tells us that, you know, even though we're being taxed, uh, we have no representation. Uh, the representation is fake. Um, so that's why, you know, the people, we as uh, Green Party members and activists outside third-party leftist forces uh, must, um, you know, stand up against that horrible corruption that is killing not just people in our district, say, for, from pollution, but of course we're manufacturing, uh, you know, parts uh, for planes, for the military-industrial complex, for nuclear weapons, and, you know, what are we, what, what's the use of that for our country? You know, our country is polluting the rest of the world, our military, you know, that it's the biggest source of pollution around the world. That's a problem. Uh, we, you know, we should not be spending $700 billion uh, during the Trump presidency to arm him with more nuclear weapons, etc. And yet that's what the vast majority of the Democratic Party, including my opponent, uh, have been pushing for. with Rodolfo Cortez, who is the CD40 congressional candidate here in California. Um, and for my listeners, CD40 is the district that's adjacent to CD34. It was actually at one time part of CD34, which, which we'll get into in a second. So he is here locally in Los Angeles. Welcome, Rodolfo. Thank you for having me, Tina. Thanks Absolutely. So, um, so you were, I want to talk a little bit about the immigration and what's going on in the country right now. You were born in Mexico and you came here at the age of nine, I believe, right? Exactly. So then you went on to attend UC Berkeley, which is a great school, and obviously you have to have a modicum of intelligence to get into UC Berkeley, and then you went on to get a PhD from Stanford also. (laughs) (laughs) Also a a prestigious school. So lots of folks would say that you are the embodiment of the American dream, right? What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting that we can think about something like the American dream, perhaps in the past... People could go through a process where maybe they grew up in a public school and then they, you know, maybe went to the military or got a job, went to college, and they could afford to buy a house, right. to, um, you know, get a car, go on vacations. Um, so that's what we thought about as the American dream. And it's actually what I heard about growing up right, as a kid right. in Mexico, yeah. um, as well as when my family, uh, you know, we, we came over. Um, it, there is this idea that we can achieve anything in the United States. Maybe to an extent it's true for some people. Yeah. However, it's very, very, very clear that for the vast majority of people in the current economic system, uh, there is no American dream. You know, we have yeah. uh, so many young people 
that um, can't even uh, you know afford uh, a, a rent an apartment all on their own. Right. Much right. less a house, a car. It's uh, it's become economically impossible uh, for the vast majority of families. Certainly in the country, and uh, I would argue especially so in um, in my area and of Los Angeles and Congressional yeah. District 40, yeah. it's extremely difficult, uh, essentially impossible, given how few people, uh, quote, achieve it. Um, so mm -hmm. it's uh, the American dream is certainly uh, broken. It's uh, definitely broken. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> broken. I want to talk a second. In fact, let's let's talk about the the. Uh, composition of CD40 because there's a few things at play here. So this is the east side of Los Angeles for folks that are, that are not here and wondering where that is. Um, and I know as a social scientist, you are able to look at data and understand data and, and sort of derive um, solid conclusions from that data. One of the things that I think is important about your district is you have, what, 723 residents mm -hmm. and 325,000 of those residents have no high school degree. So in a system, part of the requirement of really pursuing the American uh, dream is really having an education. And I think we've really hamstringed a lot of folks, especially in the state of California, because we've completely unfinanced our UC system and our Cal State system. And for that reason, uh, you know, kids can't afford to get the student loans anymore. And maybe that's sort of demotivational as far as why should I even bother graduating from high school if I can just get this job right now that's going to help contribute to the family income. Uh, what do you perceive as the motivation for, for having such a low level of education in your district? And what are some of the solutions to that? Yeah, so it's abundantly true. You know, everyone can go to the Congress's uh, census link page and check out how their own district stacks up. In yeah, terms they of should. Education. Yeah, yeah. Please, everyone that's listening, go check it out, see how your community is doing. So in our community, in Congressional District 40, uh, we have one of the lowest rates yeah. of educational attainment in uh, the entire country. And that, you know, the factors that have gone into it, um, I would argue, are essentially, you know, poverty uh, and the this system uh, that is systematically uh, keeping people from um, overcoming that poverty. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, just imagine yourself as a Maybe you were uh, in middle school and maybe you're trying hard, uh, but at the same time, maybe, you know, you go home and you try to do your homework, but maybe you overhear that your parents are struggling with the rent or even with paying um, for food, yeah. uh, even water. Um, so you start thinking perhaps that, you know, maybe the school thing, uh, you know, maybe at some point uh, it could help you out. It could help out your family. But maybe you realize that maybe I know you should just go, uh, get, a go get a job right after high school, even during high school. And of course, uh, the more children are taking that route, you know, the, the farther, you know, if, if you the gap increases, yeah, the gap yeah. Uh, substantially. I mean, like I have a I have a cousin uh, and he has. Um, he went to college, or just, but he had to stop because it was just too expensive and there were so many other things going on. And now he's been out of that, uh, of the college track for, uh, so now it's been, that's been like four years. It's very difficult to get back, yeah. uh, both at the academic level, but also there's some barriers that even they put up. They don't know if you, you know, if you have outstanding loans that you right. can't, you know, keep adding to your debt unless <sighs> you pay it off. So it, there's all of these barriers that, um, communities face and certainly in our community it's, it's a primarily immigrant, um, low-income community, Latino community. Yeah. So there's just a lot of barriers that are systematic, and uh, it's very difficult. Uh, let's navigate. yeah, you know, and let's talk. Let's even talk about high school for a second, and, and the high school system here at LA Unified. 
you know, currently we have a battle going on at, in, in the school board. Um, we have an election coming up in two weeks where we're going to choose a new board member. The last one was uh, had to resign under corruption charges. But I think I think the more important. Are you know, sorry, we, we actually yeah. share that uh, that district. district we do. Five. Yeah. It, so there's, exactly. Yes. We do. And so this is a really important mm-hmm. election, I think, because the the argument that's, that we're facing or the, the proxy battle almost that we're facing is between the charter, charter school system, the for profit. Mm-hmm. And this uh, movement's being funded by guys like Eli Broad. Mm-hmm. So these are wealthy uh liberal leaning, but yet they still, you know, want to jump in a bunch of money to create more charter schools and to put board members on our board that are pro charter school Uh, versus uh, Jackie Goldberg, who Mm -hmm. is uh, now being endorsed by DSA. I know Jackie, she's um, she's a good person, but she has been very loud against the charter school movement. And I think that whether she wins or not is going to be based on this one fundamental conversation alone. I think the other candidates have a lot of qualifications as far as wanting to do good for the um, for the district, et cetera. But this is the one thing that separates Jackie Goldberg from the rest of the pack is her stance on charter schools. Welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Superintendent, President Garcia and board members, almost 20 years ago to this day, I was president of the board. And at that time, we faced a very similar situation to what we're facing now. And we made drastic, dramatic cuts from which, frankly, this district has never recovered. You now sit in a situation facing exactly the same thing we did. But I want to tell you something. If I could do it again, I would not have done what I did. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because since 1978 and Proposition 13, there has been amongst those people who do not care about the future of the children who attend a school district like ours, an attempt to destroy public education in this state. They do it by strangling the funding year after year after year. And we, I don't know if you remember Bridge on the River Kwai, but like the prisoners, We as board members, and I say we because I did this 20 years ago, we say, what else are we to do? We have no choice. We can't do anything else. We have no choice. That's what I said. I sat here and cut the best music program in America. It never came back. Never came back. We had the most children in instrumental music in any city in the entire country. And we laid off all those music teachers. We laid off the reading teachers. We laid off the PE teachers. We laid off the people who fixed the instruments. We laid off everybody. And it never came back. It never came back. If you do what you are supposed to do today, if you do the responsible thing today, you will be nailing like I did another nail in the coffin of public education. I want to say to you, I know what you're going through. My hair fell out. I'm not kidding you. I refused to run after that. I stepped down from the board. I could not take it. I could not take dismantling an institution, the only one left in America, that says to every single child, you are welcome here. Every single child, you are welcome here. I am asking you to be audacious. I am asking you to be irresponsible. 
I am asking you to think about not being a part of the dismantling of public education in this state. I know that you will hear lots of facts and figures, and I even brought some too. I don't care about those. Where there is a will, there is a way. We have to make cuts of some things, absolutely. And some people have suggested sharing the, the, the pain, and I support that. I know that won't make me popular with everybody, but I do. But I want to say to you, I want to say to you, if you do what is expected of you, 20 years from now, when you're sitting where I am, you will regret it, I promise you, because each of you ran to make things better here, to help children more. You didn't need to do it because of the fabulous salary or the great prestige that comes with being a school board member. You did it because you were on a mission and I'm only here today to ask you to remember that mission and forget about what everybody tells you you have to do. There are no other choices. There are always other choices and I will regret till the day I die the choices I made 20 years ago. Thank you. So the reason I bring this up is because I don't, you know, I for one am not for privatizing our high school system. I have a lot of problems with it. But I know from talking with members of the community that that is not necessarily a cut and dried thing, especially in the Hispanic community. There are some, uh, a lot of folks that are de registered Democrats mm -hmm. that believe that the charter schools in their district have actually been beneficial. But when you start to get into conversation with them about funding and how that pulls money away from the general LA Unified and that some of these schools are for profit, then that maybe changes the conversation a bit. So, um, you know, it's complicated and I can understand where these folks are coming from, even though I don't agree with them. Is this a conversation that you have been having as you canvass your district? And uh, what is your response to that? Yes, so ch parents are definitely interested in the concept of charter schools. Perhaps initially, a few years ago, well, 10, 15 years ago, yeah. when the charters were really coming into the community, they offered uh, a, an alternative to the underfunded public schools yeah. that seemed uh, enticing to parents and to the community. And many parents uh, did support them and send their children over there. However, I think we are definitely now seeing a pushback from okay. parents themselves, from community members. I okay. mean, I know, um, yeah, I'm just canvassing in some of the communities where uh, Mrs. Uh, Goldberg will yeah. hopefully be elected soon. I hope so. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you have teachers that, you know, are, that I've talked with them. And yes, of course they support her because they see that even though the charters promised uh, kind of a golden gate yeah. uh, for these um, kids for their education it's very clear that their um, their main goal is to you know take uh, monetary resources yeah. uh, from the taxpayers from the public um, so that they can funnel it into their own private coffers and perhaps right. yeah so I mean perhaps there's some components of the edu of the, of the education that children are receiving at those schools that might be you know uh, might be good in some way, but there's nothing right. that um, that's nothing that uh, public education could not itself um, I agree. do. I agree. If you know, had the funding and support, and I think that parents are definitely on the side of public education now. Okay, I'm glad to hear that, and I agree with you. So the you know the fundamental problem is this thing you're getting out about the funding. We fund our our per student funding is very low, and I don't know that a lot of folks realize this. If you compare, for example, what we spend per student in the United States versus what they spend per student in Sweden or Finland, mm -hmm. it's 
night and day. I mean, they spend tremendously amount more amount of more money on, in these other um, countries, but it's also because they put education as a premium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you also have free college. I mean, you can get a PhD in Sweden and not pay a dime. Right. So the, part of this is cultural. And I think it's a conversation we need to have in this country. The, the other side of that is I know, and, I, and I'm sure when you were getting your, in grad school, you were getting your degree, I got a letter from the state asking me, if I was willing to become a teacher and if I was that they were going to pay my uh, master's degree tuition and (laughs) which made me chuckle because the amount of pay that they were offering was so low that it didn't, it was not enough for me to even consider saying yes to them. I mean, you, they, they, you're literally telling folks that have a master's degree, a graduate degree that are going to get paid, you know, minimum 110,000 on average, if they go into the private sector, that they should work for 35,000 a year. Mm-hmm. This is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Teachers are drastically underpaid. And then on top of it, they're expected to pay for their own supplies inside the classroom. Uh, I, ugh, I have a problem with this. And I think the other side of that uh, is I did, just to speak on a personal note, I did um, some volunteer work with Boys and Girls Club of Hollywood for uh, a couple of years. And I had set up this SAT prep sort of program for tutoring with the kids there with uh, the Princeton Review. I got them to donate mm. supplies and Great. they were willing to run the the prep test for free, et cetera. But I have to tell you what was really frightening to me, the biggest struggle that I had was there was absolutely a language barrier that was going on. And I remember distinctly there was this, you know, and the SAT, let's be honest, that test is framed a certain way that if you do not understand the vocabulary, you're mm-hmm. going to do very poorly on that test. Right. And it's got nothing to do with intelligence, exactly. you know? I mean, when I was in high school, I had a class on, this is total white privilege right here. I had a class called vocabulary. Okay. <laughs> From the SAT. Yes. Sure. The entire, yes. it was my junior year of high school uh-huh. and we all had to take it. And the, and the entire point of this test was SAT prep. They weren't saying it, but that's exactly what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. So, you know, you have words, words like, uh, like bellicose, I think is a good mm-hmm. one, right? Bellicose, it means warlike. But if mm-hmm. you are... Uh, a Hispanic student, you see the word bellicose, you're... I, might even mean bello, like pretty. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say it might mean beautiful. Uh-huh. Like this right. to me would be a logical deduction mm-hmm. to look at that word and think it, which is the exactly. absolute opposite yes. of what it means. So yes. this is the problem that these kids face. And I saw it when I was doing this tutoring and it sort of opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to, to the fact that we are really not serving these kids in an appropriate way. They are struggling not because they're intelligent or less than or anything else. They're not being, they're not being given the tools to succeed. Mm-hmm. So um, is there a, I guess, let me, I'm taking the long way to get to a question here. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. As, as, so as we're both grad students here, as somebody that's coming from higher education, yes. is there is there something that we can do fundamentally to change the way that we are educating our high school students? So before they even get to that point, what can we be doing differently uh, you know, obviously increasing funding, but given what we have now, what, what are our options? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's a great question. Uh, and I think that uh, we have to, you know, this problem that we do face a, a crisis in public education and education more broadly, uh, we have to tackle it through a multi-pronged strategy because it's absolutely true that say in other countries, even other states, you know, they're investing in their children in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, there's the real funding for right, maybe right. their classes or extracurricular activities. But of course, you mentioned teachers, you know, teachers 
um, must be paid a living wage. I mean, yeah. this should not be so controversial. We charge, <laughs> right. uh, you know, we charge uh, teachers with uh, essentially ensuring the vitality of our eventual community. You know, yeah. that's what you know. People do not quite grasp. Uh, how important it is to have teachers that don't have to, you know, go uh, work for Uber or something right, after right. school, exactly, uh, so that you know they can focus on, you know, maybe they can, have, maybe they can have an extra call with a parent, for example, mm. if they didn't have to mm-hmm. worry about. Uh, you know, these extra $50 that they have to get. Right. Um, so we have to, it has to be a co- kind of coherent collective response. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the problem that we have in society these days is that, say, governmental officials are not uh, working in a coherent, collective, uh, directed way. So, for example, you might have people on the school board, but they're not talking with the, or not talking as much as they should with the state officials or certainly right. the federal officials. Yeah. You know the federal officials. You know we, we're, how much, how many trillions of dollars are we are we giving um, President Trump? Uh, you know we could use even just a tiny billion uh, to ensure that teachers have uh, even just a even just a minimal pay. But no, yeah. instead we're building all these nuclear weapons. That, <laughs> yeah. you know. I was just going to say that we could cut at least. Two billion yes. off the defense mm-hmm. budget and give it to education, and it would yes. be a, a huge benefit to society. Exactly. Yeah, opinion. I mean, you could pay off uh, the tuition for UC students or right, even the right, debt that um, right. former UC students have. Uh, you know, if you were just just right. build less uh, nuclear submarines, uh, but of <laughs> right. course, uh, you know, we're, yeah, our system is set up uh, in such so a way yes. that uh, nice. we prioritize these. Uh, these, ex- I, I think, harmful uh, activities. Uh, we should not be having more nuclear weapons. No. Let's have more more schools, more opportunities for the kids, more opportunities for the parents That's to get right. involved with the kids. Um, so I, I think we just, um, you know, in this race, I hope that uh, Mrs. Goldberg wins, of course, and I hope that she uh, is able to reach out across, uh, you know, her district spans, uh, you know, East Hollywood, right. which is uh, a large district, it's a huge area. It goes all the way down to Southgate, yeah. uh, yeah. Maywood, you know, a, bun- a bunch of part of conventional district 40. So yeah. she should be, you know, uh, demanding that, <laughs> that the city, yeah. that, that we all work together to solve this crisis. It can't just be, you know, one person on one board solving everything. No, no, and you're right. And, you know, part of that, too, is, I mean, I feel like we have to have a conversation on Eric Garcetti for this reason, because Eric has endorsed another candidate. And the reason he's endorsed the other candidate is because this other candidate is pro-charter school. So we're mm-hmm. back to that proxy battle again. Yeah. Um, you know, Eric Garcetti has been also a disappointment to me because he has been pro-privatization. He's very much a neoliberal. I didn't... Um, I didn't see him that way when he first ran for office, but he's definitely proven to be on that side of the equation. Um, So (laughs) another thing I want to ask you about brings us to is uh, basic income. Let's talk about basic income for something. This is um, an idea that's been with us a long time. You know, MLK talked about it in the 60s. Milton Friedman talked about it in -hmm. his form of like a negative tax or um, so it's something that's been around. I feel like it's being a little bit hijacked right now by the Silicon Valley technocrats. <laughs> yes. So I want to talk about this for a second. Um, their idea of basic income isn't necessarily mine. I, I believe in a basic income that is for everybody and and free of any strings. I think the, the whole point of this isn't to isn't to replace a salary. It's mm-hmm. to is to do something about the income inequality in the country, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. So the problem I have is twofold. The folks um, in Silicon Valley that are now, you know, sort of spearheading this are saying that it should replace food stamps, that it should replace 
a whole host of other programs, which sort of defeats the purpose as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. But at the same time, they're saying, and I don't disagree with this, at the same time, they're saying it should go to everybody, even the wealthy people, because that the minute they don't make it universal, it becomes a problem and people will argue against it. I don't disagree with that. It should be universal. But that doesn't mean that it replaces other programs. Right. This is like a dead, to me, this is just as deadly. Right, because then what's its use? Exactly. So, but on the flip side, I've also was surprised to hear uh, Richard Wolf say that he didn't support it because mm. for this very reason, he's like, well, people need to work. This is why we have a jobs guarantee. But I don't think this negates a jobs guarantee. I think these two things right. can work together. Exactly. Because again, you know, if it's, if the basic income's only a thousand a month, there's no way anybody's going to be able to live off of that. So it's not designed necessarily to replace. Mm-hmm. A salary, right? Mm-hmm. So um, walk us through how you see a basic income program being set up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned these two key ideas, and I think they're, they do have to work together. And with the ultimate goal, so that's the federal jobs guarantee yeah. and the basic and universal basic income. The ultimate goal, right, of course, of these policies is to ensure that people, communities have a high quality of life. Um, so for example... You know, if someone is falling through the cracks uh, for whatever reason, there should be uh, a little bit of uh, cushion, right? right? Like just like there is, That's right. you know, uh, you know. Of course, if you know, if a bank uh, seems to be falling apart, what does the government do? It rescues them, <laughs> right? Right. So right. You have basic income for for corporations. <laughs> exactly. You know, why not? Yes. People? Yes. I mean, every, uh, you can go, again, you can go to the Department of Defense website. You can see every work, yeah. every business day. Uh, uh, corporations are receiving, uh, yeah, basic Welfare. income. Yeah, yeah. They um, So the same should certainly apply to, you know, um, you know people that have, you know, are I encased agree. in yep. flesh and blood. Uh, <laughs> you know, actual citizens, uh, not that disastrous idea of corporate personhood. Right. Um, oh, God, but such a uh, yeah, so we, we just, you know, if we need, so we can absolutely introduce uh, the universal basic income and the federal jobs guarantee. These are simply um, ideas that need to be written up into a coherent uh, bill. Right. And then you know, all you have to do is pass it. And then the, say, the federal government uh, assures that, you know, say maybe there is a task that needs to be done in a community. Are there young people that are yeah. willing to help out sure. in their community yeah. and get an income from yeah. it? Of course, like maybe, yeah. we can, maybe you know, the probability we can plant trees. Exactly, we can pick up the trash. These are basic activities. Say, high schoolers could could, yeah. uh, if they would like to, they could contribute in this way, uh, and they could be um, compensated. You know, and um, there's kind of a media blackout, but this is actually what's happening right now in Mexico. Oh, really? In Mexico, with the new president, with um, you know, AMLO, uh, yeah. Andres Manuel López Obrador, he is essentially creating basic income. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. Tell, I mean, wait, the, let's talk about that. That's very interesting. So yes. how is he setting that up? Um, so he orders, the, I mean, since his party, the Morena, the Movimiento, uh, the Movement for National Regeneration right, Party, right. Uh, they swept into the Congress. They have enacted policies to help the people, whether the people need uh, funds, yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so he is now hiring um uh, young people everyone under 30 can now uh sign up for a job and there, wow. there's like projects that need so to be he, done he has a dual basic income and jobs guarantee so yes. this is what we should be doing this is yeah. fascinating seniors seniors are getting um uh, more money yeah i mean uh my, my grandma over there she's she's getting a she, they doubled senior income wow um and this is simply an, uh, through an act so how angry are the one percenters in mexico <laughs> 
They had a little march in downtown uh, in, in, in the in the capital uh, just last weekend. I think there were about anything that makes people there. Anything that so. makes the contras <laughs> mad is good with me. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. It's uh, Amlo really succeeded. Amlo such an amazing, charismatic, yeah, uh, benevolent person that. He was able to draw together a, a, whole, a huge coalition, right, right. and the people are receiving the benefits now. And they're um, and know. he seems to be less corrupt as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, I I mean, I don't know the details of right. it. If there's any corruption, there, there might be something we don't know. There about, might right? be, but I, I I mean, as far as we can tell, the the I mean, he holds a press conference, you know, every day. I wish that it, uh, right. someone translated into Spanish. And so, sorry, to English. It's honestly. English, yeah. Um, it, you know, every day he's like out there for two or three hours presenting on how, you know the, the how it is possible for the government to help the people rather yeah. than just you know letting the corporations essentially destroy the people through the that's privatization right. efforts. That's right. So that's kind of what we. I mean, maybe Bernie will be elected. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, and maybe he'll do something like that. Um, Smart, but you know, so we get, it is absolutely possible for a government uh, to help its people. Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> so, well, so let's talk about how this actually relates sure. um, for a second to NAFTA, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are not clear on the idea that NAFTA has also been very harmful to workers in Mexico. Mm-hmm. The assumption is only that it's hurt workers on our side of the border, and this is simply not the case. Mm-hmm. These agreements were not fair trade agreements. They were absolutely rigged towards corporate America. They, you know, <clears throat> they were given amnesty on all kinds of liability issues, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You could go down the list, not to rehash NAFTA for the 50,000th <laughs> time because I talk about it a lot. But um, it's interesting to me that here we are now. So now we have the new president of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And we, we are possibly looking at having a Bernie Sanders presidency here in the United States. We could legitimately see a massive shift in trade policy between our countries that would focus on fair trade and have a part of that being worker rights and environmental uh, justice. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I think that, um, you know, if we had a government in this country that was open to collaboration and that didn't see the other side as the enemy, enemy, (laughs) exactly, or as I feel, I I know that I I think there was a release of some Trump... um, administration officials saying even calling you know people uh, in mexico or central america I mean, very horrible horrible names yeah, right so yeah. you know if you have that kind There's of perspective several, yeah. yeah if you have yeah. that kind of perspective then we're not going to be looking out for you know the outcome that can expand the pie you know like right. you, you know they're so stuck in this world where um whatever uh, can benefit us is going to be a loss for others and if they benefit from something then we're going to lose so that zero-sum mentality is it's zero pre- sum. Yeah, yeah it's prevalent in the in the in the trump administration yeah, it is. and it it's is. Uh, it's toxic. Um, it's so toxic. hopefully, yeah, if we can get Bernie Sanders or maybe, yeah, I mean, hopefully yeah, I mean, we can talk good. about that extensively, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully we can renegotiate a, a, a tr- some sort of a trade deal, that, trade deal. Yeah, yeah. That, that can actually help. Uh, all workers right. and maybe we can even move towards you know the workers themselves voting on you know what it is that they want wouldn't uh, that be refreshing <laughs> yeah instead of you know all the tpp and all those yeah courts you know and no we have to in sweden for example every corporate board by law has to have two seats given right. to 
either a union rep- mm-hmm. union leader or a worker. So it says worker representation. I would like like to see something like that in the United States. I don't know why that is such a like insurmountable thing. To mm-hmm. me, this is like, well, why shouldn't a worker have a say in what happens in the company that they work at? Right. Um, what we're doing now is not tenable. This is, you know, it's we're in trouble. Um, I think to get back, though, to your point on Trump's appointees, I, uh, you know, there's the organization FAIR. I don't know if you're familiar. It's the, uh, they're zero immigration. Uh, mm. John Tanton is the original. Okay. And John Tanton was a eugenicist back in. Okay. Yeah. So he took money from the Pioneer Fund, which is uh, mm-hmm. also a eugenics firm that was originally started by, not to get into an entirely different conversation, but was really started by a guy that was literally corresponding with Nazi scientists. Like, I mean, it's, mm. it's a very... Very right. dirty thing. But flash forward to 2019, Trump is now uh, the rumor circulating as we speak is that he's going to appoint Julie Kirshner, mm. who is their um, executive director for eight years. She's now currently the ombudsman uh-huh. at DHS, but he's considering putting her in charge of DHS. So you would absolutely have somebody that ran a pro eugenics zero. And they're not they're not just against illegal immigration. They're against immigration, period. They're, they're, they're white supremacists. There's no choice mm-hmm. about that. Um, and he's considering this person to head up DHS, mm-hmm. which just really kind of makes it very clear to you where right. this man's coming from. If, mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't clear already, I don't know how it wasn't clear already, but just in case it, it wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> just in case you were still in doubt that this dude's like legit racist, yeah. uh, you know, white supremacist jackass. Yes. Mm-hmm. I said that <clears throat> mm-hmm. here we are. Um, <laughs> and you know, the unfortunate thing is they had last week, this story actually was maybe just a few days ago where that group in Arizona, the, right. I, I mean, I'm so appalled by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Kliptenstein with uh, Young Turks was reporting on this mm-hmm. where he was. So this was the group just to explain. So people know what we're talking about. This was a group of anti-immigration mili- militia. Yeah, they started arresting. They the, started the- arresting. They don't work for the government. They're not law enforcement. They are private citizens with guns. They started ra- rounding up and arresting illegal immigrants in Arizona. And then they would call ICE to come in and pick them up. And, and how ICE was like, uh, yeah, you're vigilantes. You shouldn't be doing this. They didn't do that. That's beyond me. They actually participated jointly mm-hmm. in this effort. But one of the guys uh, made the statement that, why can't we just shoot them? We mm. need to go back to being like Hitler and put them in gas yes, chambers. Right. Like, he actually said this. Right. Jesus. Right. This is where we're yeah. at in the country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an, almost an overwhelming situation. It's not quite, you know, clear what can be done. I mean, there was an independent poll. Uh, I think that um, I think 60% of Americans now can't really know and don't know anything about the Holocaust. Uh, oh, my so, God. Wait, 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 so wait. Both, what? Yes, yes. Are you kidding me? No, no. This is, um, yeah, I think it was National Geographic that put it out. Uh, so That's scary. It is extremely scary. So both people are not aware of history, but people also have... Um, uh, you know, at least some people have uh, extreme, extreme racist, uh, yeah, xenophobic leanings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, I think a lot of their frustration may be traced to, you know, the privatization and oh, corporate uh, nature. Yeah, but of course they uh, go blaming it on, you know. On brown people, yeah. Exactly. No, you're right. I mean, our, the, the root of fascism, the root of all of this stuff is income inequality. And and which is why I've always mm-hmm. been a supporter of, Sa- of Bernie Sanders is because he's the one guy that wants to do something about this. If we do not address the income inequality in the country, 
this other stuff is just going to keep festering. I would love to be able to get into the hearts and minds of racists and, and fix their brains. Yeah. I can't. What I can do while fighting the Nazis is is a, try to address some of the underlying problems that are making it worse. It's not ideal, but I think you're right. I think it's the one thing we can fundamentally change that will lessen lessen the outcome of, of, of these clear problems. I mean, it's but it's I, I can't believe that we're in a space right. in 2019 where these statements are being said and they're being said unironically by people mm-hmm. who are serious. Mm-hmm. It's like yes. my God. I, I, they, those comments in particular shocked me as well um, yeah. in a way that previous comments that were coming you know, from the Trump administration or from their strongest supporters had not shocked me. Yeah, it's the next level, yeah, no, you know? It, yeah, I mean, you know, they talk about political science, right? We, you know, say Bernie Sanders has shifted the Overton window. To That's the right. Left. Yeah. Like, you know, right. we can talk about more leftist ideas, but Trump it's has also been shifted, shifted it to, to the, the right. right. Yes. yes. And, um, these are uh, extraordinarily, um, I think, dangerous uh, ideas, and um, we need to figure out how, I mean, obviously as a community, as a broad national community that wants to stand up against uh, hate and bigotry, um, I think that we just, we have to do the best we can, you know, perhaps supporting uh, people that are engaged yeah. in that struggle to counter that narrative. Absolutely. Um, and um, hopefully we can... Uh, turn back because this is, it's not looking at all pretty, you know, when you first have, when you first have statements, statements have a way of uh, becoming actions. Yes. And, uh, well, that's, you know what? No, Rodolfo, that's, that is exactly the thing that worries me the most is that Mm -hmm. right there. That is the next logical sequence Mm -hmm. is that now becomes an action. Like it would, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say it. It would not shock me at this point if six months from now, some jackass actually does something that vile. Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just been escalating for each, you know, each mm-hmm. few months, something escalates to the next level. Mm-hmm. This to me is, I, I don't have the words. I mean, I feel like this is a viable outcome and it really, I mean, look this morning as I turned on the news, they, uh, you saw this in Home the Hills. Right. The guy had a literal arsenal. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, and and I feel the need to point out, they're not talking about the fact that he's a white guy, a rich guy. This is a very wealthy neighborhood. Like if folks that do, if you don't know where Holmby Hills is, this is where the Playboy Mansion is. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, what in the hell? (laughs) I mean, I I think deeply ingrained in, um, in our psychology in, in the U.S., there is this tendency towards violence that you know people like um, uh, Chris Hedges have uh, written beautifully yeah, about. Yeah. Um, you know, he's really examined this in yeah. a historical, uh, contextual lens, and it's extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, but it's getting to the point where you know we do wonder: well, what's going to happen with the uh, with the history of the United States? Are we going to have some sort of um, altercation uh, yeah. amongst the people that is, of course, being promoted yeah. by a very small, I think, tiny segment of, of the population that unfortunately does get a lot of media coverage. Yeah. Uh, and so then the, the whole, it makes people distrustful. It makes a uh, whole situation yeah. seem um, unstable. And when you have perceived instability, you can indeed often get actual instability and chaos violence um so of course we have to do everything we can to true to stop that from happening i do think it uh, goes back to having you know the kind of 
uh, everyday lives, policies uh, that can just promote uh, harmony in communities. And um, that's, that's what really should be about. If we had harmony in the United States, if we had internal peace, we would not have external um, chaos. chaos and war. Yeah, you know, and you're right. It is, even though it's a small percentage, here's my worry, that small percentage when they are mm-hmm. violent can yes. be very destructive, right? Yes. So, you know, we've had this two synagogue shootings now. Mm-hmm. We had the occurrence in New Zealand. We had Charlottesville last year. Yes. All of these occurrences, even though they're being <clears throat> promoted by what? Yeah, I mean, I think even 2% might be generous of the, if you look at the total population, I hear what mm-hmm. you're saying. But the, their violence is yes. so deadly. And right. I think it empowers other people that are maybe, you know, this is why they call it red pilling. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the term red pilling that the yeah, alt-right uses? Right. This is why they you say take that. Mm-hmm. Take a red pill. Take another red pill. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, here's another red pill. So they're, yeah. they're not saying you become an extremist to their mm-hmm. viewpoints overnight. They're saying they're going to red pill you to this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what worries me because this sort of uh, suit and tie Nazi crowd, they are very effective in that capacity. They know where to tap they in. People yeah. To whole and they find out, you know, mm-hmm. they find out what to say in the appropriate forum mm-hmm. that sort of makes people tend to think in terms of what they're saying. Like, okay, the reason you don't have a job, the reason you're making less money than you did 20 years ago is because we've let all the brown people in the country. Or because all the Jews control the media mm-hmm. or because the Jews are helping the black criminals. Like, I mean, I, these are, you know, I'm saying these things. This, this might sound crazy to the listeners, but I have read these headlines in the last couple of weeks. I just finished writing a, a paper on Jan Tan, John Tanton and one guy that he corresponded with who, believe it or not, was a tenured professor at Cal State Long Beach, mm-hmm. Kevin McDonald. Oh. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. his website is uh, Occidental Descent. Mm. They're, one of the recent articles they had was literally the, the Jewish people helping the black criminals. I mean, this this wow. entire article was framed about, I mean, it was unbelievable. You read this stuff and you're like, these, mm-hmm. this, this, wait, this guy was a tenured professor at Cal State Long Beach? I think I saw his students were rising up against him. <clears> yeah, the they finally were able to get out. rid of him, but they he was tenured. But, I, yeah. you know, when he became tenured, they didn't know he was a white supremacist. Right. And then he came out of <laughs> Like, yeah. it's, which is unfortunate because, like, this is an argument against giving tenured professors tenure. Right. But I support tenure because I understand that it of serves course. a general. Like, obviously, this guy is the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. But you're like, damn, how did this guy get through? Mm-hmm. And he's a camera. I was in. Uh, I want to say anthropologist, but I'm not sure. But he was. He's in an I area. Know, yeah. He's in an area where this sort of conversation would come out in class and it would matter. You know, I, I mean, it's not like he was teaching math. Is my right. point. Right. So. Uh, very frightful. Uh, here we are in 2019. Um, <laughs> I digress, but let's go back and talk about your um, race for a second. So just to give everybody a background on the districts here. So the area that you're running in was at one time part of District 34, but we had a massive redistricting in 2010 after the census, right? So, um, and they shifted. Uh, so Lucille Allard is she was District 34's rep, mm-hmm. but now she's the rep in yeah. 40, so not to be confusing. But she's sort of kind of part of a political dynasty, so to speak. And Americans have this strange fascination with political dynasties, which I don't understand. If you're in a democracy, the whole point of your democracy is not to have a dynasty, no? I mean, mm-hmm. yet we've had, you know, two Bushes, multiple Kennedys, like you can go down the list, Brown more than once now. 
So there's something to, I don't know what, if it's just name recognition, comfortable with that name, I'm going to vote for this person again. I, but there's, I mean, there might be a whole, whole host of psychological reasons, but this is part of what's going on in your district now. So you are literally up against a political dynasty. So as you walk your district, as you have conversations with constituents, what are some of the things that you're hearing in regards to that? Are you going to be able to make some headway in this area? Are people ready for change? Are they fed up? Yeah. You know? Well, um, Mrs. Roybal Allard um, has, in fact, been, um, you know, the representing the broad area. You know, there, there have been these redistrictings yeah. that have happened. But um, before when it was, I think, District 33. Uh, right. So it, it was comprised of yes, 33 and 34. Exactly. I, I didn't mention that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, you know, how they draw these districts is so interesting. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's been going down to Bellflower, which is where I live, uh-huh. uh, for uh, about 20, 20, a long time. A long time. Yes. <laughs> um, a long ass time. Yes. I think that, you know, it started in downtown and all the way down to the southeast. Um, I think that people <laughs> vaguely understand that she's been there uh, for an awfully long time. And yeah. before that, uh, especially people that are, you know, maybe a little bit older, uh, say you know oh and her father was there as right. well exactly um and if you add it up it it's been uh yeah 50 years uh so of her family um essentially uh yes uh you know rep quote representing uh <laughs> this uh broad area um of los angeles county um and of course their allies are also yeah. um related right. yeah. <laughs> throughout all the seats. Yeah. The context is indeed that um Mr. Edward was um an extremely um popular popular yeah. person. You know, he, he did some good things. Yeah. He, he did. We were walking around with a tremendous burden of being Mexican in a country that didn't want us except his labor. This is something that I'll never forget. And I'll never forget it because this was the evening that I asked my wife to marry. Edward Broybal, one of the first Mexican-Americans elected to Congress, experienced discrimination firsthand. And the policeman lined us all up, about uh, 14 couples, uh, made us put our hands up over our heads, and they went through our pockets. Then they asked each one of us to show credentials. I gave them my wallet, and after they looked at it, this policeman started to take my cards out of my wallet and drop them to the sidewalk. And then after he did that, he said, now you pick them up. I remember getting on my knees and picking them up. Uh, this is something, of course, that uh, a man that had just asked uh, his best girl to marry him will not forget. Very progressive, um, as far as it was possible to be progressive right, in those right. days. Right, right, exactly. Um, he was an activist, no? Yes, he yeah. was. Yeah, he was um, the first... Um, uh, Mexican uh, origin individual to serve on the LA City Council, uh, right. and he was among the first to you know to go to Congress. Um, so you know he really um, built up a, a great legacy, yeah. and, I, and like I think he did uh, do some positive things for the community. He you know he supported education, that's right. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, but uh, in the years since, you know his. Uh, uh, he retired, and uh, yes, his daughter, Mrs. Robert Hallard, essentially took over his seat. Uh, he was actually her campaign manager uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in the early 90s. Um, right. So, 
you know, she uh, entered Congress and she is, um, uh, in a way, an institution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how long has she been? More than 1220? Like, for, uh, forever, as years, long as yes. I can remember, exactly, you yes. know? Yes, she, um, uh, she is um, not someone that is widely known, I think, outside of the immediate area. She's right. not someone that... She's not know, on the national stage. No, yeah. she she doesn't. I don't even think she wants to be. No, uh, no she's she, she's res, she's more reserved. She's very reserved. Reserved yeah. or, and kind of you know, does the everyday right. uh, activities. Um, she's um, you know she came in with uh, Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters, who are of course uh, rose to. You see me making my scary case over here. Nancy Pelosi is not. I'm not a fan. Uh -huh. <laughs> she's not a progressive. Yes. Um, so I um, I would say that the understanding of the district is that uh, she has been there for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think people, uh, you know, for the most part, vote for her and myself included in the past. Right, right. Um, I mean, well, your options are her or some crazy Republican. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, yes. I get it. I get it. Uh, well, yeah, so it's it's a very Democratic district. Um, you know, it's leaned, uh, it's the, one of the most Democratic, the most Latino. Absolutely. So, you know, um, she has an elementary school named after her. Her father That's has, right. That's her right. father has schools uh, also named after him. We have the Edward Roybal Federal Building, which is now yeah. technically outside of the district. But yeah. there is is a heavy presence of the Roybal name, yes. Um, so um, there, that is something to um, to contend with. <laughs> but you know, uh, as you were saying, um, you know, this country is supposed to be based on democracy, exactly, not on aristocracy. So in this case, there's actually literally a textbook, um, a political science journal that refers to this as political aristocracy and uses uh, this example. That's actually, yeah, <laughs> no, that's a really good term so that's exactly what it is right um i mean the fact that you know she went in there so she's been uh she's done she's not by any stretch of the imagination a horrible representative by any means she's done some good things she has for example um promoted neonatal care right that's been a signature issue for her um but there's so much else she should be doing she yeah should be doing and she actually is a now that she she's very safe um, centrist, I would say she's not <laughs> yes. horrible, but she's a very yes. safe centrist. Right, exactly. And your district really needs some. They they need an injection of progressive policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about district where almost half the constituents don't have a high school degree. This is absolutely mm -hmm. unacceptable, mm -hmm. yes. especially in Los Angeles. Right. There's no excuse for that. Yes. We're we are we are failing our constituents. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how I see it, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much that she and others notice that Los Angeles is a pure blue uh, city right. as far as the congressional representatives. There's so much that they could do uh, to push their own party, uh, the Democratic Party, yeah. or just the nation I forward agree. in terms of progressive policy. But they have not done that in the slightest bit. And does, uh, does, does she take money from corporate? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Give me the list. Who, yes. are, who are some of our biggest donors? Well, of course, Walmart, which okay. has a presence in the district. Lockheed Martin, uh, defense contractor, Boeing, uh, Verizon, at and all The usual suspects. The usual suspects. She, um, you know, um, there's obviously some uh, um, U.S. representatives that take 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. I would not, I, she's not in that category. She's, but she hasn't had to because right. you know she, it, the, the district has not been competitive. That's she's, right. She's actually never truly you know, had. <laughs> I almost feel like your run is similar to AOC's run against Crowley, who was similar in that capacity. Although what made him even more, uh, more aristocratic, aristocrat-ish, mm-hmm. I don't know what the word yeah. is there, was the fact that he didn't even run for office initially. He was appointed into that. Right. And I don't know if people realize that or not. So, and then he just mm-hmm. continued to run un, uh, unchallenged until uh, Alexandria. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you're sort of in a similar situation in the sense that this is a very milquetoast centrist that's not necessarily responding to the needs of the district, yeah. um, but, aren't, but isn't the worst person. No, no. But is. there's still, I, I, there fundamentally needs to be some changes. Obviously, mm-hmm. the, it's it's broken. You mm-hmm. can't have half your constituency without a high school degree in, in a city yeah. where the average rent is $2,500 for a studio. Mm-hmm. This this doesn't pan out. Right. Yeah, no, she uh, and others have abdicated their, I think, the responsibility. Abdicated is a good um, word. Yeah, but as a U.S. representative, I, it's key that... They talk to the community, realize what are the issues, yeah. how can they help? Uh, and too often it's, um, you know, you call them or even you show up to their office and they say, thank you very much for your concern. We yes, will get bullshit. this. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll show them this. Maybe you know, Does she ever not, attend town halls? I don't think she does. She usually sends a deputy, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very often sends a deputy. She does, She appears in parades. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she, um, it's more important to appear in a parade than actually have a conversation with your constituents. But, you know, I also think, Rodolfo, part of the problem is too many of the folks, and and we saw it when we were at the the delegate election for CD51, Mm -hmm. too many folks are enamored and have this sort of rock star viewpoint of elected officials where my my response to folks that are acting is like, stop it. These are public servants. They work for you. You don't work for them. Mm -hmm. If they are not fulfilling their obligations Mm -hmm. to their constituents, they don't belong exactly. and they shouldn't deserve to get reelected. Exactly. It's not yeah. like they're not paid well for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and for a variety of reasons, I think in this country in particular, we have a problem where we start uh, to treat uh, political figures as larger than life yeah. figures, as yeah. movie stars, uh, that, it, that it's not getting us anywhere. In fact, no. when, say, uh, you know, we've had popular presidents, uh, and we that, but that means that if we think that they're great, yeah, that, you know, we kind of have like this, you know, in social psychology, uh, they would say halo. Effect. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just so <laughs> great that there's really nothing yeah. wrong with them. And then if you start, but if you start looking into it, you realize, yeah. well, there's all these things that you know they could be doing or they, they did do that were wrong, ethically, morally. You sort of make of, excuses for the yeah, stuff. You make that, excuses, yeah. or yeah. you know, you react negatively against people that yeah. uh, are that criticize them for these yeah, things. Or yeah, or just pointing out facts. You know, right. like, and so that's a mindset that we need to change in this yeah. country. We should indeed not treat uh, you know elected officials as larger than life figures. Uh, but rather they need to be grounded uh, in the community uh, and they need to listen to us. And there should ultimately, there should just be a regular person that happens to perhaps like to engage in dialogue with others and try to come up with policy. Maybe that's something they enjoy. Right. But it should not, we should not keep elevating more and more people because it's, 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 it's actually dangerous. It's very dangerous. Uh, yes. I absolutely co-sign mm-hmm. that. Uh, now in district uh, CD40, uh, 
What was the primary percentage turnout of the vote in your last primary? Because here it was very low. Yeah. It was like, I want to say it was like five or six percent. It was like grossly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's another fact about City 40. So it's the absolute lowest turnout in California. Yeah, we got to do something about this. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know about nationwide, but in California, you know, I looked at the totals. Uh, it's very low. Yeah, okay. um, when it's high, um, as it, uh, I mean, it actually wasn't because of Trump. Uh, you know, after Trump, uh, I think a lot of people, for Trump, that was kind of the biggest election that, yeah. that happened in 2016. You know, people came out and supported you know, mostly Hillary, obviously. Um, Our district went to Bernie. I'm, I'm, right. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I might have had something far. to do with that. <laughs> nice. I canvassed my ass off for oh, Bernie. Okay. I would. Right. I knocked on so many doors. Mm-hmm. I'm we had so many volunteers, uh, Janine, Ron, like the whole yeah. Yolanda and Gary. Do you know Yolanda? Right. Um, yeah, we worked mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, District 34. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, you know, it was the district where uh, Bernie won in the primary. I was, you, you would have laughed. I was yeah. knocking on doors with my gringo ass Spanish. <laughs> trying to convince. And I, yeah, all the abuelas were like. Oh, el viejito. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm a uh, pienso que en inglés, no en español, right? So my gringo Spanish is literally gringo mm-hmm. Spanish. I, I, I do not, I have a hard time flipping the, anyway. Mm-hmm. But I did it. I was committed. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a, a lot of people in the in the Latino community actually saw him as, um, you know, I, I certainly converted all my, all my family yeah, had, uh, yeah. for him. And I think a lot of young people did as well. And, um, you know, Something that you kind of learn when you, um, you know, become a candidate is when you look at data. I actually feel like you may have won District 40 as well. Because there yeah. were so many young people that came out to vote. So, so many. So many yeah. 20, 22 The provisional ballots were out exactly, of control. Exactly, exactly. So I think that might have been the reason why he did not win in City 40. And it's sure possible. I mean, we have currently, I don't know why this doesn't get more media attention. We have a pending lawsuit from the ACLU against uh, oh, yeah. Dean Logan. Mm-hmm here in LA because he was, th- mm-hmm. he, this is a separate issue, but it's another issue. I think right. we've got multiple issues. Um, he was throwing out mail-in ballots and why this matters is almost 50% of our ballots are now mail-in in the city. Mm-hmm. So he was tossing the ballots without letting the voters know because they they were saying the signatures didn't match up with the signatures that they had on file, which is ridiculous because some of these signatures might be 20 years old, right? So they're looking at the ballot signature and they're looking at this 20-year-old signature and they're like, oh, they'll throw it out. Instead of contact, they should have an obligation to contact the voter and give them a chance to come in. Mm-hmm. And say, no, that's my vote. Here's my signature. And they weren't doing that. They weren't saying anything. They were just throwing them out. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Right. And what right. slays me, This, these are all members of the Democratic Party, the party that's supposed yes. to be against voter suppression. Right? right? Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Come mm-hmm. on, Alex Padilla. Why are you fighting this? Mm-hmm. Padilla should just be saying to the ACLU, yeah, you're right. We fucked up. We're wrong. Let's fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet here we are. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they essentially profit from, from this model, right? I mean, right. they, uh, you know, if they're party operatives, which they are. They all are, yeah, they absolutely are. Um, yeah. So they, um, in some way, will benefit. Perhaps they're not getting a current um, salary from the party or some organization Power, connected to the party. donations, yes, quid pro quo. Yes, yeah. it's all... Um, it's, it's all related. There you go. So, um, so now... Which brings me to this question. So you're running as a Green Party candidate mm-hmm. in your district. Um, 
why did you leave the Democratic Party? Walk me through what those motivations are. You know, and I've had other Green Party candidates on yeah. the show. I have voted for Green Party candidates, and I'm not either remotely embarrassed or ashamed to say that publicly. Um, I'm a leftist, and if yeah. I feel that the Green Party candidate is a better candidate than the Democratic one, I'm mm-hmm. going to go off the range and vote for the Green Party. I have no right. problem with this, mm-hmm. and I think more people should really maybe consider that. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having any of this vote splitting bullshit. Like in my <laughs> district, people were saying that I voted for Ken yeah. Mejia. Right. And I'm like, what, who am I vote? What, who am I splitting vote? What are you talking? There is exactly. no Republican in the race. Exactly. Like, there you go. We have open primaries here yes. in California. This is like a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Stop making it an issue. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Maybe yeah. if I lived in Arkansas, it'd be a different <laughs> conversation, but I don't. I agree with that. Yeah. So in, in, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So in California, uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, from a broad perspective, you know, before I, you know, just explain my reasons for the Green Party. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from a broad perspective, it's interesting that... Essentially, the bluest areas uh, mm-hmm. of the country have um, become so blue that the Republican parties have collapsed. Um, so, uh, in our in District Thirty Four, is one of them. Yeah, District, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Kenneth Mejia. You know, uh, the Repu- there was only one Republican that ran in that uh, special election. And yeah, and he, he was just a mess. Yeah. So, and very he had very few votes. He didn't advance beyond the top two. Um, you know, <laughs> he actually it, called me. Oh yeah. Story for another day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and the same. You have the same situation in Congressional District uh, Forty, where um, I do not believe that Mrs. Robert Allard has had a, a Republican challenger since the uh, mid nineties. Yeah. Um, so right. I mean, it, and it's even uh, it's in a more uh, Democratic district than this one, if, if, as far as voter oh, registration. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah, okay. It's just. I mean, it's. Uh, Is that even possible? <laughs> Right. I mean, it's, it's so there's uh, like one Republican <laughs> in our district is zero in yours. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Only along those lines. But yeah, no, it's just, um, you know, in this area in central Los Angeles County, the Republican Party has collapsed. So yeah, very much here so. we uh, essentially do not have uh, that worry that people in other parts of the country have about right. vote split exactly. and all of that. Exactly. And that is its own issues. You know, it's not, I'm not convinced that a green uh, um, voter would just vote Democratic. They might simply not just vote. Uh, or well, vote. yes. Uh, okay. mm-hmm. No. And you know what? This is a really valid position. Every time somebody brings up this thing about Jill Stein mm-hmm. voters, I kind of go side eye because it's like, why are you assuming those voters would have voted for Hillary Clinton if Jill Stein had not been on the ballot? Yeah. That's just patently stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people... We need a more thorough, uh, you know, approach to how we talk about politics, and that's one of the issues that people yeah. get so wrapped up in blaming. Right, they uh, lose their logic. Green Party, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, Just so yeah. Them. So anyway, we um, there is so in this area in, in Southern California and in central Central Los Angeles County, I think there's an opportunity. Uh, to move the narrative uh, further uh, in a more progressive, certainly yeah. leftist direction, which is what the people are actually demanding. You know, yeah. The people want all of these uh, policy priorities that um, certainly uh, the you know the left of the Democratic Party and the and the Green Party are are pushing for, and the other parties that are even right. farther to the left than the, than the Green Party. You know, people want that federal jobs guarantee. They That's want right. the Medicare for all. They want uh, the universal. Socialism is no longer a dirty word in no, the United States, and that so, makes me very happy. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. So I mean, uh, in this area, it's like uh, we have a the opportunity to have a. a a social movement to That's decide right. what it is that we want. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes. So since we don't essentially have to worry about, uh, you know, putting in a, another um, 
far-right uh, Republican into office, or no Republicans. No Republican, I think, in this, in at least 40 years, is likely to win in this area. Right. You know, we'll, maybe we'll have a party realignment, all that. Or Possibly. Maybe, yes. Possibly or not, or, or maybe it'll just be all submerged by, you know, right. seawater. Seawater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll be underwater. Yeah, well. It's, Thank God my house is on top of the hill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know where to come. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes. Or during the zombie apocalypse. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think if if uh, if people if democracy has an opportunity to explore uh, other ideas, it's important to give those ideas, you know, the space to breathe and to yeah. develop. Um, I agree. So, in in our case, like so say Kenneth Mejia here, you know, he ran the Green Party. Got tens of thousands of votes. People he did very well. Him. Yeah, yes, I mean, did. I think it. it I think it's really important that we realize two things from that race, because this does speak to what you're talking about, how left our district is. Yeah. Um, he beat out the other Democratic exactly. runners in the primary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could mm-hmm. have been viably two Democrats exactly. running. Exactly. But yeah. there wasn't. He beat there them out. He did. So yes. we had the incumbent, Jimmy Gomez, mm-hmm. yes. and we had Ken Mejia, the Green Party. Like, so that was a first in a lot of ways. People were, I think people were pretty stunned by that. I wasn't, mm-hmm. but... Right. I think a lot of people were. Then in the general, he went on to take, uh, like, I want to say around 35%. I, I believe that's correct, yeah. Which is a large it's amount. Huge. I it's would have huge. liked him to see when, you know, Jimmy Gomez isn't the worst guy yeah. out there, but mm-hmm. like Allard, yeah. I feel like he is sort of walking that centrist line sometimes. Although. Yeah. He's, he's, a lot, he's more progressive than Allard, but he is yes, more, he's mean, been put, I was just going to say, he's, although since he's been in this yes. new position, he has become much more progressive than he was in his mm-hmm. old position. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this because I used okay. to not like him at all. And now mm-hmm. I'm sort of warming up to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if part of that is his, um, his influence from Bernie Sanders, who I know yeah. has been very influential on him recently. That might be the case. So I'll give, I will give Jimmy credit for Possibly. that. Yeah. I have to give credit for that. But right. previously, um, <clears throat> He was not. He was a corporate kind of a corporate guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, look, politicians can change can change if we push them. Yes. Well, not all of them, but some of them can. The ones yeah. that are at least, um, yeah, semi decent. Right. Yeah, they can change somewhat, but I think that, unfortunately, I do think that the trajectory over the last thirty years, forty years of uh, of the party is that. Uh, so the, obviously, the Republicans have gone way to the right. <laughs> They're like uh, fascists but, now. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, Nancy Pelosi. She's not all progressive. Is, yeah, she's, she's a Republican as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. I think uh, it was Obama who said that, you know, his policies would be considered totally mainstream yes. Republican. Um, well, they are. So, I, I would yes. consider them that. He is not the progressive that he ran on. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So there is this slow um, and deadly movement um, yeah, I agree. of the Democratic Party to the right. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, in districts like here, I think it's a good opportunity to explore other ideas. And yes. maybe, of course... If a if a third party candidate um, was to uh, to win in one of these positions, yeah. yeah, to enter Congress, of course that would change the narrative in the same way. I would say even more of a way than um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, won. you know she has moved things so far to the left. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yes, she has. So she needs to be recognized for that. So if we were to have you know um, another party enter the Congress, of course it would. Gosh, it would be... Uh, it'd be helpful, it'd be, it'd be, yeah. Yes, it would be quite a, a different scene. You know, people would not have be locked into this idea that, you know, they have to vote for you know, Democrats or the other, Republicans, yeah. when in fact, if you truly look at the situation, they support a lot of the same policies. Yes, of course they differ yeah. 
the policies that both parties Mm -hmm. support are the worst ones, you know, whether it's foreign policy or exactly you're right on that. Well, let me ask you a question as a political science scientist. Um, this is always the thing that I struggle with. I would like to see many viable Mm -hmm. parties here in the United States. Yeah. How do we face the challenge, though, that we aren't a parliamentary system where bicameral sort of the way our founding fathers set up our government? Is there a way um, around the problems that you would have, like, per se, with the Electoral College? You know, there's a host of things that are sort of yeah. entrapments since we're not parliamentary. What What are your suggestions or thoughts on that? So I, I actually think there does need to be a, a, quite a few changes or updates okay. uh, to our system of government. Let's talk um, about that. Yeah, to how it functions, to how it's set up. It, um, you know, you think about other countries, um, and they go through constitutions at a far faster <laughs> rate than Wait. we do. They realize they realize when something doesn't okay. quite work. This is a valid point. Yeah. <laughs> when have we ever changed ours minus a few amendments? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, other fair. Kind of, That's fair. No, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good things in our constitution. Right. Uh, there and are. There's some not so good things exactly, too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the process of um, of nationhood, if we want to be a nation, uh, part of that process is talking about whether our current system is set up in a way that we like, uh-huh. uh, or and if it's not, it's completely within our rights <laughs> to uh, to change that system. Um, so in, say, the United States, a lot of people, this idea, I would say even just last year, this following idea was highly controversial, but I think now I'm seeing it more and more. You're moving the overturn window. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, the idea that um, the Senate, say the Senate, you know, there's so much power that we give two people from each state. That's right. That's, okay, so just okay. So just think about that. Two people from each state. So that's yeah. already a concentration of power. But then when you realize that there are... You know, I think it was a meme on social media that, you know, there's more inhabitants in L.A. County uh, being represented by two people in the Senate um, than there are, like, in all of these um, um, states in the the middle of the country. In the middle of the country, yeah. Cows need representation, too, Rodolfo. (laughs) So, you know... we have to be honest with ourselves, you know, do we want to live up to that standard of democracy? Right. And in our case, representative democracy. democracy it's, yeah. not, it's not direct democracy, but representative <clears throat> no, it is, democracy. Yeah. So, you know, there are some things in the Constitution, like, say, the Senate, um, which maybe people are talking about you know, abolishing. That That is a, a, a talking point that is now out there that was not there before. Yeah. And I would have to really process that because it's something mm-hmm. I would have never considered. I thought maybe you were going to say add one Senate seat to the more populated, <laughs> but you're saying outright abolish it and well, just go to strictly a representational house? I, I, I love the idea. That's an interesting idea. I love the idea of expanding the number of U.S. representatives. I think that yeah, it is okay. abysmally uh, poor that right now, yeah, each district has around 700,000 people. Yeah. And, you know, that that pales horribly in comparison to, say, I think um, the UK has, I believe, around 45,000 people being represented by one That's member of the House of Commons. Yeah. And, you know, our system of government was actually set up to increase the number of U.S. representatives as the population increased. But we haven't had a... Right. Now, why? Yeah. But why you know what? Mm-hmm. You're right on this. And so why is it the case that we haven't increased that number? That's my first question, yeah. because I think what you're saying now is absolutely legitimate and something we should look at. 
My second question would be this. Um, do you think in some capacity the Senate checks the House of Representatives and that mm-hmm. there might be some worth to that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think in, the, in 1911, there was the Apportionment Act. So that's when they decided that, um, you know, a current number, 435, yeah. uh, is the number that is the have. ideal number. But before, that, yeah, <laughs> but, be, but before that, you know, they were increasing the As number. As we would, yeah. Yes. Okay, so what was the motivation for that act? This is very interesting. <sighs> I... I you know, I'm not you a know, historian expert, you know, but I, I think I think that it had to do with all, all the immigration that <clears throat> yeah, then was. What year from, was this? Uh, 1911. Ooh. Yeah. So okay. There, so it, it, this is the birth. Okay. So now we're going into my thesis area. This is the birth of eugenics and <laughs> anti-immigration. A whole host of things that were going on. So yeah, you're probably right. I am going to have to research this now, but that would make sense to me. They wanted mm-hmm. to limit the representation of the immigrants coming in from other countries. Oh, uh, Jesus. I think so. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, 700,000 people, anyone who has ever I tried to... I need a martini con- now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, anyone who has ever tried to call up their representative knows that it's uh, essentially impossible to get yeah. a hold of them. It is. Um, even to have an audience with them, like with the actual representative, you, good luck. Good you know, luck. Unless and this is contributing to this whole sort of rock star mentality where yes. they're rock stars and not public servants. Mm-hmm. I think this is related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, we... We maybe okay, so they they're so elusive, right? Like, oh, we, maybe we can get off, maybe we can talk with them, and then if we see do see them, maybe we want to take a picture with them to show. Right, and then I'm gonna put it on Facebook and <laughs> exactly. look at yeah, which is like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so that that kind of mentality. We just they need to ultimately become just regular members of the public yeah. who happen to make for whatever reason maybe they're interested in making policy or engaging right. in debate with each other. But we need to get to that system. Yeah, what it's I agree. going to take is for the regular people to well, to run for those positions, to demand better of, of them. Increase. Uh, we need to increase the representation. I'm, exactly. I'm very much behind this yeah, so, idea. Yeah, that was uh, that, so that's an idea that I want to push for Love you know, it. changing our the structure of the government. And as far as your your second question, you know, like could the can does the Senate act as a as a check on the House yeah. to a large extent? Yes, it does. And I think that's part of the issue. But there's very few checks on the Senate. This is a fair point. Is there a way? I don't know. I have to think deeply on it's, this. It's, uh, you know, the senators, you know, you, you, we, you know, if people want to think about the representatives as entitled. <laughs> the senators are, yeah. yeah, it's a whole other world. Once you get into the Senate, so for example. It's too much power. It's, it's too much power concentrated into one hmm. person. And it's actually... I would argue, I I don't think, I mean, I'm not a historian of the Senate, but I don't think that anyone, say, has done what AOC has done in the, in the context of the Senate. No. Because it's just... I think Paula Jean Swearingen was probably the closest you're going to see of that. I've had her on the podcast. She's a very fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful activist. I think she made a lot of headway against right. Joe Manchin. She right. had no support from the damn fucking party exactly. at all. I mean, and she still was able to get 32% of the vote. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think she's probably come closest to that. Um, it was a fairly small state. Yeah, West Virginia. Fairly small yeah. population. So that's one of the... So she was really able to get out there and risks. talk to people, yes. you know, which makes... which mm-hmm. it would, It's much easier to West Virginia versus a California. That's probably true. Right. Maybe someone, maybe an um, insurgent candidate could win somewhere like Vermont... Uh, or New Hampshire. Well, Bernie already states, did that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, the House first, though. So All right, fair enough. I, I'm just trying to you know, say that... No, I think you know, you're right, The Riddle. Senate is just once people... I mean, look at Feinstein. 
She, oh God, I can't even, I can't with that. How the hell did she win re-election? I'm stunned by that actually. Yeah. Like there's a part of my brain to, that just explodes right. that, that people had a really good viable mm-hmm. alternative. Yeah. Somebody that actually supported, Kem DeLeon who supported right. Medicare for all. Look, I didn't vote for Kevin in the primary, I voted for someone else, mm-hmm. but I sure as hell voted for him in the general. There was like no, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there was just a lot of great folks running in the primary yeah, race. exactly. But having said that, I was actually pretty shocked by that. I did not think that she was going to pull out this win. You know, she's going to be 90 years old. And which I only bring this up because I'm not ageist. I don't care if you can still do the job and fine. I think there's, I think there's intelligence and wisdom that comes with age. Mm -hmm. But I bring this up because the same people that say Bernie Sanders is too old to run have absolutely (laughs) no problem with Feinstein being 90. And I don't understand why there's this sort of double standard that happens with the neoliberals. Like, mm-hmm. why can't they just admit that they like the policies? Right. Are they embarrassed that they like these policies? Maybe it's a little bit of that. I think a lot of the time they don't actually don't have a coherent oh, uh, sense of Fair politics enough. or ideology. <laughs> you know, right, I, I think that if people, if people truly analyze their world and their community and how stuff functions, how our yeah. system is uh, set up, I, eventually they, I think they gravitate towards a uh, uh, leftist oh, uh, Bernie Sanders or a farther left perspective. Right, um, so right. a lot of the time, I think people are just not aware of how even, you know, pushing Feinstein doesn't help uh, the New York times or the no. times. Manufactured you know, consent it, is a very real thing. Ultimately they are losing out too. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense by which people are not quite understanding the, the totality of the situation. Like, if, look at the, those kids that went to go see her. Yeah. You know, and she said, well, I essentially... It was terrible. Yeah. When I was a policy director for a nonprofit, I was in her office. I, I worked on a, a microbicides bill. Microbicides were HIV prevention tool that women could use. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was something that would be put into spermicides, yeah. uh, NuvaRing, whatever. And we were looking for NIH funding for uh, phase three trials, just to give you a little background on it. But I had to, you know, I had to go to D.C. and, and <clears throat> literally lobby. I mean, that's part of what you do as a nonprofit. You don't get paid for it. You're, you're, you're um, arguing against these corporate motherfuckers that are making, you know, five million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see firsthand I, what I'm getting at is you see firsthand how corrupt the system is, because when you're there, you see you go into these offices and you're trying to get time FaceTime with these people. Now, I, I got FaceTime with lots of folks. And Obama what, is the senator at the time. She, he was a sponsor of the bill. And Olivia Snow was also mm-hmm. who is now parted. You know, she couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And randomly, she was a Republican, but she was much more to the left than some of the centrist Dems, which is super weird. Right. Anyway, I digress. I, I couldn't get FaceTime with Diane. I had been to her office three in D.C. I had been to her office here in California and she still hadn't come on to this bill as a co-sponsor. So my last trip there, I refused to leave. I was like Mm -hmm. this. I'm like, this is bullshit. Not only am I working on something that you keep telling me she supports. She hasn't come on as a co-sponsor, but I'm her fucking constituent. I got on a plane and I flew here. Right. I'm not leaving. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't care. I sat there, Rodolfo, for five goddamn hours. Wow. Finally, they brought me back into her office. But I was like, seriously? Uh Seriously? Who do you work for, Diane? You work for the people in this state. We don't work for you. Your attitude and your sense of entitlement is, like, really infuriating. Mm -hmm. And I wish more people could be exposed to that sort of an experience because then I think maybe they'll have an understanding of how far gone some of these things are in the country. I think right. there's so much complacency about this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. No, they um, they are completely out of touch. Certainly, the the, the senators that have been there uh, for so long, they have they answer to no one. Um, <laughs> the representatives yeah, sort no of one. answer to maybe local council, sort yeah, of, sort uh, of local. They're a little bit more obligated to though. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, um, the representatives maybe send over or mm-hmm. lobby for appropriations for projects in the district. So there's some relationship, but um, once you get to the state level, it's just it's too difficult <sighs> to keep someone accountable to California. I mean, I mean, yes, technically speaking, they can't, but even, you know, they, they win, they win elections all the time because a lot of people don't know what's going on. The complacency that has infiltrated the electorate is really not helpful, but we're doing our best to change that. Right. And I think it is changing. I think, um, 2016 was a pretty large wake up call for lots of folks. So what are the parts of your platform? Um, I'd be interested to hear about that are unique that separate you, I should say, from Elred, your competitor? Like, what parts, where are the areas that you guys differentiate? <laughs> well, um, one thing about our district is that it's uh, it's an area that has suffered um, extensively because of something that, you know, um, politicians and if uh, academics refer to as the military-industrial complex. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so the military industrial complex, of course, is I'm sure most of your readers, uh, listeners, is, yeah. um, know, you know, there is this relationship between corporate, uh, funders as specifically the defense contractors. Yeah. What is a defense contractor? They're the corporations. Private that, yes, intelligence, private. Yes, yeah. yes. That build the, the nuclear weapons, the fighter jets, the tanks, the software to run them. Etc. Right. So all of that is part of a segment of the American economy that um, contributes to mm-hmm. campaigns um, and such as uh, Mrs. Robert Allard. And what is the result? Well, you, it's pretty clear that they, you know, if they they're receiving money, then oh, there seems to be a yeah. connection to their votes for that money. And That's what right. does that money mean? It where does it go? So you know, you analyze all. all all the facts that are publicly available, and you can see that they are essentially sent over to have jobs in uh, the district manufacturing uh, mm-hmm. those uh, products. Yeah. Um, so in our area, yeah, um, there are quite a few factories uh, that are producing um, uh, objects uh, for the fighter jets for right. the. Navy ships, and you know, right? So they're that, pieces. They're, they're not, pieces, yeah. yes. And you know, because the defense contractors have a strategy of spreading out production. Up. Yes, <laughs> they spread it all around the country. Right. They want to make sure um, mm-hmm. that essentially every representative has to support uh, these uh, war this incorporated. Yeah, and <laughs> so it, it really is, sets up a horrible, horrible situation where obviously people want jobs and we want people to have jobs but guess what manufacturing something like um the shell of yeah. uh, of the fighter jets yeah that produces a lot of uh contamination yeah of pollution absolutely on the worker uh carrying out that task and on the broader community so yeah. there's been quite a few uh, studies uh, by the Air Quality Management Board and um, USC has done studies and they've been reported in the LA Times that 
Southeast Los Angeles, essentially uh, Conventional District 40, has all of these toxic sites. Mm. And you trace it, and it, well, there it's, it seems like it's coming from um, certain uh, factories. Many Is it Lockheed Martin that's there? Yeah. So, yes, once you dig, uh, you know, it, it sometimes it comes across as a local uh, local business, but no, they tend to be owned by Lockheed Martin, several yeah. owned by Warren right, Buffett. Right. Oh, um, wait, wait. This is fresh information for yeah. me. Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett, you know, since he uh, likes to get into brick and mortar businesses, yeah. right? What he understands, that's what he always says. <laughs> yeah. So that's why he has like the shares in ketchup and all that. Yeah. Um, so he has gotten into the business of having, um, so for example, he owns through his company. Berkshire uh, Hathaway. Yes, Berkshire yeah. Hathaway. And then they own a bunch of companies uh, yeah. like Precision Cast Iron Parts. So they, oh. the, so they're, they're all... And they're there, and they own, small, own smaller companies. Uh, I did not know there. this. So there's all these indirect uh, ways mm, by subsidiaries. I mean, yes. Yeah. So of course, you know, people like uh, Warren Buffett, uh, profit, need the production of these uh, so-called goods. Yeah. <laughs> um, in order to get uh, to get a good rate of return, That's right? right? That's how they talk about it. But but that actually has the. Uh, extremely disturbing um, outcome where, you know, you look at a map of health disparities and you will see um, red all over Southeast Los right. Angeles, the communities of, of uh, Southgate, Paramount, Bell mm-hmm. Gardens, East LA. Montebello. Lots and lots of problems there. Lots of kids with cancers, uh, yeah. with uh, brain um, uh, issues, developmental delays. Many people have cancer. It's a naturally high rate of cancer, um, and and it's um, there's been no quote conclusive study because you know a study is quite never really conclusive. No, but right? we have, tend to have a lot of evidence. There can be a good amount of evidence that there is a problem here, and it's probably caused yeah. by these More artificial processes. Yes. Um, so. Uh, we have a situation where people like Mrs. Robert Allard and so many of the other um, people that are in government have uh, accepted uh, campaign contributions from these um, interests. And, yeah. well, when the LA Times runs a huge article about uh, the pollution, they say nothing. There's even an article where they say, you know, the public officials didn't return a call, <laughs> you know, to even just comment on this because they right. can't, they can't what comment can she say? on it. Yeah. They can't comment on it because then So she's they justified would... as saying it's jobs then, even though it's environmental. Exactly. Uh, so what we need is to racism. offer. It's exactly. environmental racism. It, it really. is, yes. You don't see this happening in Beverly Hills. Exactly. And, you know, when we have uh, things like Aliso Kenyon, you know, like what yeah, happens God, there? Wow. Immediately there is action or there's a push for action but right. over here in the Nothing. southeast no it's been 30 years of uh, a lot of I, I suffice it to say i would say most people don't realize mm-hmm. that this is happening exactly um, and for example even though i knew lockheed martin had a presence mm-hmm. i didn't know warren buffett was yeah well i mean once you dig deep right like right. i mean you hear all those statistics all the world's wealth like in 2016 i think uh, it was like 87 people owned Half of the right. Wealth, well, let me then, let me make it yeah. even worse. Eighty-two percent of the new wealth that was created mm-hmm. went to the one percent. Right. That's fucking right. insane. Right. Exactly. And they do it by buying up all of these industries. So eventually, you get you know only a few people you get, own and yeah. controlling everything, That's including right. these uh, factories. That so. 
Um, Mrs. Roba Allard has allowed uh, these uh, corporations to continue. To continue, and you know, she's a very uh, powerful member of the House because, you know, say for example, she serves on the Appropriations That's Committee. That's a very powerful position. Appropriations is huge. Yes. Yeah. So is yeah. she sort of a puppet of Pelosi then, in a way? Uh, is Pelosi, that fair? Re- Pelosi repeatedly puts her on all of these yeah. committees about the budget. Um, <laughs> And okay. and she also is um, on the on the subcommittee for um, the Department of Homeland Security. Mm. Uh, in fact, I think she's the, the leader of that. You're ki- uh, wait, of that. you're kidding me! I did not no. know that. No, that's ironic, isn't it? It is, and people <laughs> people don't know. Uh, but maybe but maybe that's why Pelosi. I'd like wants to see her, her say there. something like abolish ICE. Is that <laughs> is that asking too much? <laughs> I think so. Um, no, I mean she has. Um, she has gotten money from uh, private prisons. Uh, it's all of it. Yeah, but, but of course, people don't know about that, and um, but of course, it creates a toxic environment. Well, but let me talk about this for a second because I think this is the important thing about the private prison conversation. Even though we don't really use private prisons in California any longer, where that money is now going is mm-hmm. to the detention centers exactly. that are holding these exactly. immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and this started happening under yes, Obama, even though it's it become far worse under Trump. Talk about environmental racism for a second, because I think this is a very real thing. They are very particular about where they put plants that they know are toxic. And, you know, in the United States, we allow, um, we sort of have a, a backwards system as far as I'm concerned about what chemicals and toxins are put into the environment. Unless they're proven to be unsafe, they can sell them more or less mm-hmm. to, to simplify yes. it. Whereas in Europe, the opposite is true. They have to prove that it's there's safety yeah. before they're allowed to sell them. So we, we sort of, we live in a Petri dish dish in the United States, I think. But but these companies know full well, the elected officials know full, full well, that there are carcinogens in these things. They're not fools. Mm-hmm. They know it. Mm-hmm. Even though they'll say, no, it's fine. It's not a problem. They know it, which is why they have no problem sort of placing yeah. these uh, businesses, uh, these factories, what have you, in p- poor communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how a- do we fix that? I mean... Yes. So I, yeah, it goes back to, you know, our elected officials, uh, including Mrs. Mrs. Yeah. Robert Allard. Yeah. They have the opportunity to call for a kind of a, a new vision, you know, instead of having these toxic um, sites where the workers are being affected and the general community is being affected and kids are dying. Um, how about let's uh, repurpose those factories. Let's have a different mode of production. Let's instead of building all these factories for the, or producing products for the new uh, military industrial complex, let's let's produce green products. Yeah. You know why are right. we, why are we not producing you know say those machines that suck the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere? Right. You know, that would be a great use of appropriation right. uh, money. Um, but where, plan, where, yeah. where is she seen lobbying for that? She's nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> um, so uh, these elected officials, you know, maybe they're often their nice air conditioned offices. They're, they're not seeing the impact that uh, corporate, the corporate power structure is, is having on our environment or on our society. They don't, they're not out there in the sun getting skin cancer from working, right. uh, you know, so many jobs outdoors like the working classes. <sighs> Right. Um, so we need to uh, simply turn that around. There is obviously no, there's no other way. Uh, and uh, but of course, it'll only be regular people that can. 
that rise up. Yeah, because yeah. the I mean they, yeah. they they may not even realize the scope of the problem. No. <laughs> um, so we need to let people know. You're right. They probably don't. You know, and I think a, a good example of seeing that happen is the recent mm-hmm. um, situation where Amazon tried to put their headquarters in Queens, and right. Queens was like, "Get exactly. the fuck out of here." Yeah. This is what needs to happen. You know, it, it's like Americans have been fed this idea for so long that you're supposed to beg, beg for your shitty job from your shitty corporation. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having, as opposed to saying, no, you're going to pay me a fair wage or you're going to get the fuck out of my city. You know what I mean? I mean, this is a company that paid zero in taxes last year. Mm -hmm. This is why we need Bernie in in our president suite. Mm -hmm. We need it. Yeah, we need to dramatically turn around our mindset and uh, political leaders can certainly have a huge role to play in charting a new vision, new priorities. Right. Uh, it's happened before in world history, and it must happen again. Otherwise, there'll simply be no future history. Indeed, that's actually where we're at. So, where um, if people want to donate money to your campaign, where can they do that? Um, so, probably the easiest, you know, since we are on the podcast. And again, thank you so much yeah. for having me. Um, so, you know. You can tag me, and if people go to my profile, okay, uh, they will be able to click on a little link there to my crowd pack. So, okay. um, crowd pack is yeah the easiest way, and okay. um, if people want to become monthly uh, members, you know, the price of a latte at Starbucks, um, that all helps. Uh, it does help, uh, and again, it's a I think it's a good race uh, because it's there's really no uh, chance of a Republican succeeding. Yeah. Um, so we can only do. Feel safe to go progressive. Yes, yeah, exactly. go progressive. Um, yes, it's the Green Party, but we're working every day uh, I, with I, other. I, yeah. I, like the Green. I don't know why a lot of people have a problem with. I like the Green Party. Exactly. I mean, look, they they haven't been the most. A structured mm-hmm. party, but yes. that's sort of part of right. being the third stepchild exactly. of the country. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So you know, we can only press forward, and um, you know, obviously, it would be a political earthquake if um, we could get uh, Green into Congress. So right that can happen. <laughs>